The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop. Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onyxmaps.com or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N NATION followed by the number 20. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode 64, where we cover grizzly bear attacks with Montana Game Warden Brian Summers. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, number one source for Western big game hunting. Hope you guys are staying safe out there. I know it's crazy times we're living in right now, and I'm not going to get into any of that because we've all seen it all over the news, but I just hope you're safe. Hope everyone's doing well and, and, uh, wish everyone the best going forward. That's all, all we can do. So, uh, with that, hopefully listening to some podcasts gets your mind off of what's going on in the world and helps you think of better days to come and, and getting back on the mountain and, and, uh, you know, figuring out hunting plans and reminiscing on, past hunts and, and and dreaming of the future definitely check out sportsmansnation.com because there's a ton of cool content on that website um you know we have the podcast network with a number of cool podcasts uh on a number of topics but there's also videos on there uh blog posts recipes whatever but so make sure you're checking out sportsmansnation.com if you get over to transitionwild.com uh, still offering the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide. It's a basically a crash course 101 how-to on elk hunting in Colorado. So if uh, if you're interested in checking that out or you're planning a hunt to Colorado this year, definitely go over to transitionwild.com, subscribe. I will send you that for free. All right, my guest today is Brian Summers, and he is a Montana game warden. And, uh, this was a really cool episode. I, (laughs) it reminds me if you're ever looking for like good entertainment from your buddies or your, somebody, you know, and you just want some good stories, talk to somebody who is in law enforcement. doesn't necessarily matter if it's wildlife law enforcement, police, uh, investigators, whatever, uh, they have some really interesting stories and they could probably tell you, you know, stuff that would make your head spin for, for days. And so talking with Brian, he had a lot of interesting stories in particular, we're talking about, uh, grizzly bear encounters and, and not just grizzly bears, but also black bears, uh, and attacks, uh, particularly in Montana and his work as a game warden, he's helped, um, develop certain programs and trainings for officers on how to investigate uh, bear attacks and what to do, how to prepare. And then also um, I talk with Brian about bear management and um, you know how to prevent or mitigate potential bear attacks and encounters. And so it was just really interesting. I, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, Brian is 
a very well-spoken guy and had a lot of good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys do as well. And let's not wait any longer. Let's get Brian Summers on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, we have Brian Summers with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. How you doing today, Brian? Doing awesome, you? I'm doing well. I'm staying staying away from the zombies and the coronavirus, so I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How's everything in your neck of the woods? Is it getting crazy up in Montana? Yeah, it is. It is. Things are closing down and people are staying home, so... Yeah, yeah, it's kind of wild. I'm seeing some other states. I think like Illinois just announced like yesterday that they're closing down all of their public lands. Do you? I mean, do you see Montana doing something similar to that, or because it's like such a remote area, it's probably not going to happen? Uh, the last time they talked about it, which was a few days ago, they were going to leave everything open. But who knows? That could change at yeah. some point. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah crazy times we're in right now it's uh pretty wild so it is it is yeah yeah a lot of uncertainty and and uh you know we'll we'll see how it shakes out but i'm glad glad you're doing good and staying healthy and that's all that matters right now (laughs) that's right that's exactly right so where where are you based currently in montana i am in northwest montana i live in the town of kalispell we're up there by glacier national park okay Got it. So is that part of your like patrol or areas you uh, patrol the national park, or does does that not fall under no, the lines? Park Park Service has their own folks. Okay, uh, but we cover everything from uh, the Idaho border to the Continental Divide, and then from the Canadian line down to just a little north of Missoula, Montana. Okay. So it's a pretty good chunk of land. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> pretty remote, pretty rugged, uh, I would imagine as well. Quite a bit of it, yes. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of a lot of areas where there's no cell service. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. makes it kind of difficult uh, to to do or I guess to for people to get a hold of you, for people to uh, get in contact, but I imagine you guys probably run like satellite phones or something uh, along those lines, don't uh, you? We we do some, yeah, yeah. If we're you know if we're in an area where and we're going to be in an area for quite a while where there's no cell service, we'll have a satellite phone with us. But again, those come with a cost, you know. <laughs> yeah. It comes with a cost. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, cool, Brian. Well, I, I uh, you, you and I had a conversation uh, a week or so back, and and obviously you know why I want to have you on this podcast. But kind of to fill the listeners in, I, you know, I had a couple podcasts back. I had uh, a guy on Mike Mershon. He's a hunter from Montana, and he was involved in a grizzly attack. He wasn't mauled or anything. He, he shot it at close range. Uh, I don't know if he ended up killing it or not, but. Uh, it it really sparked my interest and we got talking about 
the the investigations when a grizzly attack occurs and i was like man it it'd be cool to have somebody on from from montana uh fish wildlife and parks to talk about these investigations and i was like i gotta i gotta find the right guy so brian you're you're that guy (laughs) i think it'll be really cool (laughs) i think you're the right man for the job it seems like you've you've got a pretty extensive background in in all of this stuff so i'm really looking forward to it yeah so uh your your bio um your bio you you've been working as a game warden for about 35 years is that is that correct correct yep yep uh i was a field warden so i was out in the field in uniform until 2006 then 2006 i took a criminal investigator position with the agency and basically i work on bigger cases and uh and other stuff that takes more time that the field wardens just don't have the time to put in or or if we're working a big case then we'll work it jointly you know sometimes with the field wardens and and help them out or or just spend time working with them on a case and and getting them through it but and then with that you know in in 2006 uh I I attended a a wildlife human attack response training we call it ward uh, in Fernie, British Columbia. And that really kind of got me rolling on the wildlife attack stuff. Uh, I had been involved peripherally in a, in an attack in 2001 that took place in Montana. And in 2006, I went to that training. Then, you know, I was trying to get our agency to move forward with some sort of policy, guidelines, protocol, whatever, dealing with investigating wildlife attacks. So in 2009, I hosted a conference, and in exchange for hosting it, I told them we need to move on getting our guidelines in place. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And then I hosted another conference in 2012 as well. Okay, got it. So, yeah. so you're you're like really outlining like the policies and procedures and making sure that all of the wardens, at least for Montana, and it sounds like other states and agencies are all kind of on the same protocol and can operate, you know, in the same manner uh, through this training that you set up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a. And it's a step-by-step process. You know, you, you teach folks a step-by-step process and how to investigate them. And the, and the nice part is it doesn't just apply to wildlife attacks. It cut, carries across the board on every investigation that an officer may be looking at. It teaches them in a step-by-step manner how to go about investigating it and, you know, how to, to work your way through everything. And we teach a three-day class that's 33 hours and three days uh, where we teach folks how to in, go out and investigate it. And, again, it's the teaching process is just a step-by-step basis as well, you know, where we take them out and there's a lot of classroom time, but we get outside every day and, you know, we'll spend time walking them through a scenario to begin with. And then the next time they get it in, thrown into a scenario, it's a, we call it a learning scenario where, they go out and investigate it, but they can ask all the questions they want and and then, you know, pick our brains with everything that's going on. And 
and kind of get an idea of what they're looking at. And then the, when we get towards the end of the class, then we throw them into what we call a dynamic scenario where we have, we may have actors, um, you know, Test dummies. involved in the scenario. <laughs> yeah. You know, you will have man, you know, we have mannequins throughout all of them, but we may have live victims, uh, you know, animals that are part of the scenario. So, it, and then it's a little more stress. And then, uh, you know, we throw media in and EMS folks and all of these things, plus the public. Wow. You know, we may we may hold it at a, a state park where there's people in the park. And so they have to learn how to cordon off an area and deal with the folks that are there. And, and how do how do they do that and how do they effectively do that? Wow. And so, it, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty cool training and it's it's, you know, pretty valuable. Uh, we've also been doing a lot of, uh, I call it first responder to wildlife attack training uh, that we've been doing for sheriff's offices, police departments. Uh, we did three of them last year in, e- in eastern Montana, which the grizzly bears are starting to move east. And so a lot of those communities are kind of getting ready. And it doesn't this deal with grizzly bears. It can be black bears, can be deer moose, whatever they have a problem with, they, how they investigate it is the same. Okay. It's the same process, no matter what the species is. Yeah, yeah. Grizzly bears just seem to make more headlines, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, it, I feel like I'm, like, kind of have this infatuation with grizzly bears right now. I don't know why, but, like, because Colorado doesn't, at least, we don't recognize them yet. There may or may not be grizzly bears in our state, Uh if if there's not, there it probably will be at some point here in the near future. But uh, I don't know. I guess for me, I've never hunted in grizzly country. I've never seen a grizzly bear. I've never been around around them in person. So like for me, it's just like ah oh, man, I just find it so interesting. Obviously, no one I no one wants to get attacked, and you know, obviously there's there's been some deaths involved in in recent years, and that's that's totally um, you know not good at all for anybody. But um, you know, just the whole grizzly bear thing, it does seem like it gets a lot of press and people are interested in it. And for a number of reasons, I think too, I mean, you have, uh, you know, it's a very delicate subject for, for some people. And, and, uh, there's groups that advocate for the grizzly bears, not to harm them and, 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 uh, ban hunting in certain aspects. So it's, I can see why it gets a lot of press and headlines. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it is anytime, and it seems like anytime you're dealing with anything with wildlife that's involved in attacking someone, it, it just it makes big news. Yeah, may not last long, but it makes big news right then. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and so that's some of the stuff that we go through when we teach this class as well. You know, there's a section in there where we talk about. You know how do you how do you talk to the media folks? How do you deal with the media? And because uh, you you never know. You know we had an attack uh, last year. We were really lucky where I'm at. We didn't have any attacks, so that's the first in quite a while. But you know the prior November we had one, and as we were coming out of the hills, it was getting dark and we get to a, a gate that we had to go through to unlock and drive through. And here is a reporter, a TV station reporter. They're wanting to do an interview. 
So it kind of, you know, you have to be, you kind of have to be ready for that because yeah. you just never know when it's going to happen. Yeah, no, and that's a that's a big part of portraying the right image and, and saying the right things. And it sounds like, yeah, it's like a full encompassing program. It reminds me, I in college, I interned for this company that did like emergency response, like training. So like more for like, you know, if something happened, like a disaster or uh, an attack or something on a city or a town, you know, they would go through all scenarios, just kind of like what you're describing. Uh, seems like in a similar way, all facets of communication to dealing with certain uh, aspects of the public and uh, how to close things off and 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 deal with certain things in a processed way uh, it sounds like it sounds like you really have this this down in a similar manner to like emergency response uh, like you said it, c- it can be applied to to any different category and and different um, you know facet of of training so that's that's pretty neat yeah yeah in any part of their job you know you know whether you're a game warden or whether you're a deputy sheriff or a local police department officer, you know, it, it applies to across the board. hundred percent. And, and how often once, once a, a game warden goes through this type of training, is this something that's ongoing? Is it something that they do twice a year? Do they do it once and then they're done? Uh, what does that look like? You know, we do the class one time for them and then, hopefully they go back to where their region or wherever they're from and they, they do, you know, like where I'm at, we do scenario based training once or twice a year. Um, just for my guys that are on my team in my region, I have a, a designated team for investigating wildlife attacks. And so I'll put together training for them a couple times a year and, and it just, it gets us out there working together and, and, uh, you know, figuring things out together and, and working as a team. And, but I'm hoping those guys go back to wherever they're at and do that. If they don't, that's fine. You know, they can always call and we'll come out and do a little refresher for them. Or I, you know, every once in a while we'll do an actual refresher training for folks that have been through the training. It's just a couple day class where we really then it's a little bit of classroom, but we really focus more on the, the, you know, the scenario based training where we're, we'll run them through two, three scenarios and it just gets them, gets that sinking in more. And really that's the only way you're going to get better at it is by investigating attacks or by training, you know, so you keep those skills where they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. What's, what's your take, Brian, on just the number of grizzly attacks or, um, I mean, do you, do you feel like, I've kind of paid attention to it the last couple of years, but do you feel grizzly attacks are on the rise, at least in Montana or other parts of the U S like, do you feel like the number is increasing um, or do you feel like it's staying the same? Or I, I know last year you said you, you didn't have any in your region, which is great. Um, but overall, do you think what's your take on the whole frequency and of incidents? Yeah, I would say incidents are, are on the on the rise even though we didn't have any i think across the board they're on the rise and and you know in 2000 up till 2010 we we had attacks you know glacier national park had attacks but they were not 
all the time. And then it was like in 2010, a wall came down and we started having more attacks. Uh, that's when the, the Soda Butte attack took place, which was down uh, next to, it was in near Cook City, Montana, next to Yellowstone National Park. And that was a pretty, pretty big deal, you know, where three people got attacked, one was killed. Oh, no. Um, one individual was killed. So, but it, that's really when things started to change. And then from that point on, we started seeing more and more incidences with grizzly bears and black bears where, you know, they were getting more, you know, aggressive, aggressive, you might call it, but they're just having more encounters with people where, you know, like the one you explained where, you know, the person encounters a grizzly bear, the grizzly bear charges them. He either shoots it or sprays it with bear spray and it goes off. Um, those types of things happening where, you know, where an attack takes place, that's when the bear or lion or whatever it is actually makes physical contact with a person and bites them or scratches them or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, so a little different type situations, but yeah, I, they're definitely increasing. I don't know why, uh, you know, I think bear numbers are up, you know, I know bear numbers are up for both black and grizzly bears. Um, but why why we're having more attacks, I don't know. You look at Glacier National Park, hasn't had an attack for a long time. I think 2011 was their last one. So they're overdue given the number of people that go there. You know, we're pushing 3 million visitors a year now in Glacier National Park. Um, so it's just, you never... You never say it can't happen, but, you know, at some point in time, we're probably going to have another attack, just like Yellowstone has attacks. Every, seems like every year they have issues with, with grizzly bears in Yellowstone. Yeah. You know, and they're getting, what, five, six million visitors a year, somewhere around that. Yeah. Um, you know, all of the, all of the parks that have bears, you know, like, Great Smoky Mountain National Park, you know, they've got 20 million visitors a year, and I think they have two black bears per square mile. Uh, so, you know, it's just, they're there, and, and you just have to be aware of it and and yeah. kind of be ready for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like eastern Montana for us, the the bears are moving east, getting away from the mountains, going back out into the prairie prairie lands where you know they were clear back in the lewis and clark days they encountered grizzly bears out in the prairies and and that's kind of where they're moving to and and folks out there you know just you know they they're not ready for them yeah that's interesting uh, that they are actually making the the migration or you know expanding their range back into kind of more eastern you know the the prairies the more the open grasslands and and so that uh, when when do you think that change started to to occur when when did they start moving back east has that been something in the last couple of years or has it been kind of slowly moving over the last 5 to 10 it's probably been the last 5 at least uh, you know as bear numbers go up you have to move you don't have to but if you stay you run the risk of of getting killed you know by another bear 
you know, as the as the home ranges become saturated with bears, bears have to move to survive. So it, it's and you see that with lions as well. You know, the all the nice home ranges in the mountains are occupied by large adult lions. So a lot of these younger lions end up moving down into the valley, in amongst the homes, uh, to try and get away from that potential of being killed by a, another lion and so it's the same type thing that's going on with the bears you know they're just moving trying to expand to get a, to relieve some of that pressure that they might face if they stay in the hills and you can't you can't tell them you know hey you can't get past this line <laughs> yeah but put up a fence <laughs> yeah yeah it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I I wonder, you know, obviously grizzly bears sounds like the population's on the rise, but I wonder too, you know, I mean, there's just, there's this big push for public lands and you've got, you know, more people in the backcountry camping and, and hiking and uh, mountain biking and just doing more, more stuff in the backcountry other than, you know, just hunting. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. Like there's just more people in those environments where grizzly bears are. So of course there's going to be more higher, uh, chances of attacks or encounters. I, do you think that's part of, part of it as well? And in, in, in addition to the increasing numbers? Oh yeah. Cause you're, you're getting more people on the landscape that, that run that potential of encountering a bear just because you see a bear doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just just because you encounter that bear doesn't mean it's going to be a bad encounter. Uh, I think it's just so many times we see it, it's just bad timing. You know, it's you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And it's just one of those things. And again, when you look at the, the sheer number of people that are out there recreating compared to the number of attacks we have, it's very, very small. Yeah. Um, so, but again, it, I think it's, it's just one of those things that yes, we're putting more people out there doing their thing, whether they're mountain biking or hiking or, or whatever it is camping. But, uh, and then there's, there's a whole bunch of things that could be involved in, in whatever's going on at the time, you know, uh, are you, are you out hiking and for some unknown reason, you come between mom and her cubs. You know, she's on one side of the trail or the road, and you're the cubs are on the other side, and you're in the middle. You know, that presents a problem. Or do you encounter the bear when it's, you know, has a deer, an elk, or whatever food source it is cached there? So now you're a, you're a potential threat to that bear because you may be, you know, trying to take its food source away from it. Um, those types of things, you know, and then you do run the risk of it being a predatory attack, which, you know, that, that bear or lion and, you know, lions are pure predators, but bears kind of float back and forth. Is it predatory? Is it surprise or defensive? You know, how, how is that bear responding? And then, you know, there's, there's that light switch that goes off sometimes in the middle of an attack, say the attack starts as a surprise or a defensive attack and then becomes predatory yeah you know what causes that switch to flip and you know no one knows and we have no idea it'd be nice to be able to sit down and ask him that question (laughs) 
You should go ca- catch a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bring them into your office, Brian. Have a have a sit down talk yep. with them. Tell them tell them That's what's right. going on. <laughs> That's right. What what do you do you have any data on like percentage wise of like how many attacks are on hunters versus maybe like other outdoor recreation activities such as hiking or just camping or mountain biking like do you see like a 50 50 split or is it majority hunters is a majority of hikers just wrong place wrong time yeah i think it's just wrong place wrong time uh you know you look at those three attacks that they had last year uh down out of out of bozeman montana uh those were all hunters that were attacked and and they were all in the same area the same mountain range and it's a very small mountain range area where the, where it took place. So it's, I, I think, I I don't know for certain, but I, if I remember right, I remember seeing they they were about eight miles apart. So they're very close proximity. Yeah. Um, You're but, referring to the gravelly uh, uh, mountain range. Yep. 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 Got it. Yep. The got gravelly it. attacks. Did did that did, did in the investigation did they did that end up being the same bear or was it different bears or were they not able to determine that? I'm not sure on that one. Okay. I don't know if they ended up being able to collect any DNA to, to send and submit to find out. Uh, you know, that's one of the things we always look for on these attacks is trying to get DNA, you know, so we can determine who the offending bear or animal is. And um, I'm not sure if they were able to get much on those. But, you know, Got but it. again, those were hunters. But then other times you may just have somebody out hiking, riding a mountain bike um, camping, uh, it, it just, it runs its course, but then you have to look at all of the things that took place that are underlying what took place, you know, and, and then determine, you know, the, the cause of it, you know, we had a predatory black bear attack, attacked a guy in his tent in 2012. And, as you looked back at the history of that bear, which no one knew about, but after the attack, then I started getting phone calls from people saying, hey, you know, in May, I encountered this bear at that exact location, and this is what the behavior it displayed. Really? And then those phone calls started coming in, and then in September is when the attack took place on the guy in his tent. And so, again, it's it's habituation to people as part of the problem. You know, they become habituated to people. Um, and then this bear as well had become, in a sense, a mugger bear where he knew if he acted aggressive towards you, he was probably going to get fed because somebody did that at one point in time. Ah. You know, so we we have trained that bear to become a mugger bear. And we saw that years ago in, in Glacier Park where people would be hiking on a trail, they'd encounter a bear, so they'd take their pack off and throw it on the ground and then take off the other direction and leave their pack for the bear. Well, if there's a food reward in there, what did the bear just learn? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. You know, and, and bears, both black and grizzly, are single response learners, you know, so. Meaning it they, only takes like one learn. time takes one time they're not like people where you tell someone hey don't touch that stove (laughs) it's hot and so they'll end up touching it a couple of times before it sinks in but 
you know, bears are single response learners. It happens wow. once they've got it down and then they, they know, Hey, same thing, you know, when we're trapping bears, they learn, Oh man, that, that culvert trap is something I don't want to go near. Or, you know, if we're snaring bears and we're using, um, you know, bait, they're like, Hmm, I don't know if I like this because they've learned maybe the last time they got caught. I don't like this situation. Yeah. 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 Smart animals. I mean, uh, you gotta, you gotta give them props to that. I mean, they were crazy smart. Um, what, um, walk us through, I'd like to know kind of the framework of an, of an investigation. Like, so let's say, uh, someone's out hunting, uh, for example, Mike, who I had on my podcast, uh, you know, something like that. I mean, you, you get a call, uh, they call the warden kind of, you know, lay down what happened. And then how does, how does that investigation take place? Kind of walk us through the initial, like, what are you looking for? Are you setting up camp for three days? Uh, walk us through like the whole process from getting a call and uh, being notified of an attack. Uh, okay. And then, and then, you know, well, how we'll, it just, folds. we'll just take it. Yeah, I'll just take an, an actual attack and okay. walk you through. That'd be great. Yeah. So, like our one that was in 2012, where the guy was attacked in his tent, that was in the Bob Marshall Wilderness. So he was 13 miles into the wilderness. Um, so the minute you get the call, you're trying to decide. You know, are we going in on horseback? How are we going to do this? And time is is of the essence on most of these attacks. You know, the faster you can get there, the better chance you have of finding your offending animal. But again, it depends on the type of attack that took place, and we'll get there. But so in that case, you know, we decided to fly. Uh, we got, had to get approval from the Forest Service to fly because it's a wilderness area, so they flew us in in a helicopter. Um, and so we we fly in with all of the intention of spending three, four days, you know, when we found out this guy was attacked in his tent, that kind of already leads you down the road of a predatory attack since it attacked the guy in his tent. Yeah. And so we, we were very certain we wanted to try and catch or kill this animal and remove it from the system because of the type of attack. And so we got on the ground uh, the victim was already gone. Our, uh, we have a what they call the alert helicopter. It already flown in and picked him up and taken him out. And so the minute we get on the ground, the first thing we start doing is we, you know, assess everything, make sure it's fairly safe, um, and then start taking pictures, taking pictures of everything that's there, like in this guy's camp, everything that was there where it ended up, you know, being at after the attack. And then going in and collecting, looking for DNA, you know. So in a sense, you're basically crawling around on your hands and knees looking for hair, bare hair, blood, anything that you're going to be able to send to the lab that's going to give us potential DNA on who our offending animal is. Now, in this case, we got lucky because, you know, 15 minutes after being on the ground, uh, there was just myself and an, and my wildlife uh, biologist who was m- with me, Eric Wenham, and he came and got me and said, hey, the bear's here. And that bear was coming right back into the camp, again, showing that predatory-type behavior where, you know, the, the alert helicopter had been there, 
and we had flown three circles around the site before we landed. So all of that noise. rotor walk yeah. <laughs> and noise did nothing to deter that bear. It was right there, you know, and it was intent on finishing what it had started. And so, again, those are the things that you you're always have to keep in the back of your mind is what type of an attack is it. You know, and if you look at a surprise or defensive attack, those bears after that type of an attack are usually long gone. Um, you know, it's not something where they're intent on killing you or eating you. It's just, you know, it's a surprise yeah, encounter, surprise, they, a defensive encounter. Yeah, they took care and of the problem get, and then, you know, got out of there. And got out of there. And and I really think, you know, a lot of times in a surprise defensive attack, those bears have an oh my gosh moment Yeah. towards the end of it. Like, what did I just do? And then it's panic. You know, I just did something I probably shouldn't have, so then they get out of there. Yeah, yeah, got it. But, you know, going back to this other one, you know, so then even though we have the bear, we, we put the bear down, we still have to finish investigating. You know, you got to make sure we have the right offending animal. And in this case, when we rolled the bear over, he had blood on his claws, but when we rolled the bear over, he had a huge orange stain in his neck where the guy had sprayed the bear in the side of his neck with his bear spray when the bear was in his tent on top of him. Oh, wow. So that was a pretty good indicator that we had the <laughs> yeah. right bear. Yeah. Um, it sounds like almost like a crime scene. It sounds, it sounds like you're yep. like, I mean, this is like, I feel like I'm, you know, part of a murder investigation it sounds like you're taking the same kind of steps uh involved there exactly and we treat it that way you know we'll put up barrier tape closing uh, closing the scene off you know keeping everybody out and and treat it exactly like a crime scene because you never know when you respond to what is reported as a wildlife attack you, you don't know for certain that's what it is until especially if someone was killed, you don't know until you go to autopsy what the person actually died from. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, so in this particular, so you have to treat it that way. Yeah. 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 So in this particular, this was a black bear you said on this. Um, Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. 100, 180 pound black bear. We figured five, six years old. Um, took on a guy that weighed 210 wow wow that's crazy so like so if it if so that when it come to putting down the bear so that bear was coming back and kind of like circling in like on you guys uh i mean you know right then well, it wasn't, there. yeah it was coming right to the camp so it was okay. when we first saw the bear it was not even 70 yards from the camp wow so it's walking in a straight line right back to the camp. And, you know, and, and that's anytime we encounter a bear, say we go into an attack site and we encounter a bear, we're probably going to put that bear down. Yeah. Same thing with a lion. You go in on a, an attack site with a lion, that lion's going to be there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. It's, uh, so, but what you're saying is like, if it's more of a surprise thing and, you know, maybe a defense mechanism after your investigation takes place, um, is your goal then to, uh, do further investigation to try to either shoot that bear or 
dispatch that bear or is it just like okay well it was a surprise encounter based on our evaluation and investigation and you know we're we're gonna let that bear go yeah you can try and trap for him but you're not gonna catch it because that bear's long gone yeah yeah that's what you're saying you know in a surprise surprise defensive encounter you know you can try and trap for that bear but more than likely that bear has moved on which then you run the risk of catching a bear that's not the one you want. So, you, you know, again, that's where collecting that DNA, so you know the DNA profile of the bear you're looking for. Whereas if we do trap, for some reason, we end up trapping and catching a bear, then we now have to hold that bear, submit its DNA to see if it's the same offending animal. Got it. And that creates its own problems. You know, you end up holding a bear for five to seven days. That's quite a while. Yeah, 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 that is. That's interesting. So so um, let's say in, a, in an incident where you don't find the problem bear, you're just collecting DNA san- samples or basically the, the hair samples, that goes into a database. And then, you know, if, if, if an attack investigation occurs at some point down the line and maybe it's the same bear you match up the same hair samples um so then you kind of build a case around this bear or like a a profile like this could be a a problem bear um at some point do you see that occur a decent amount yeah where you, you get like same hair samples and different attacks and you know it's the same bear uh it's possible i have not seen that but it's highly possible that that could happen you know where you could be investigating it and you know, you're in a small area where, you know, this, you know, and, and I'll, as an example, in November of 2018, we had a hunter that was out hunting and was attacked by a bear. So just a surprise, surprise defensive type of an attack where he encountered the bear that was in its bed and, you know, the bear jumped on him, chewed on him a little bit and then left. The next day, we went back into the scene again to look it over, and a another grizzly bear had come through and had dug a black bear out of its den. That grizzly bear that had dug the black bear out of its den was involved in an attack. Oh, I don't know how many miles it was, not very far away, in 2016, if I remember right. So again, the the potential, even though it wasn't, that just answers your question. Where you can encounter those those bears that have the potential to be involved in, in multiple attacks. I know Yellowstone has had a couple where that took place. Um, uh, I can't remember what year that was. Um, I know the names of the the attacks, but they had a grizzly bear that was involved. In some form or manner, she was at two places where individuals were killed, and they were about eight and a half miles apart. So they ended up putting her down and her cub down because she was, they don't know that she killed the second guy, but she was definitely there and had possibly consumed on him. So, Yeah, yeah, that's... uh that's pretty wild stuff. I know uh, listening to the Meat Eater podcast, they had, a, they had an episode where... I think she was from Idaho fishing game. I can't remember. Um, she basically that was her job as like a biologist or 
um, she would go in and try to collect hair samples off of uh, grizzly bears and black bears and everything. They put up like barbed wire around trees and whatever, try to collect the samples. Yep. And uh, and during during that uh, or one of the those encounters or one of those uh, trips where she was going to set out these traps uh, to collect hair samples, she was attacked by a grizzly a surprise uh kind of attack she she lived um you know made it out but then i think like a month or two later that that bear had attacked somebody else and they ended up putting that that bear down and um so it's just i guess it's just like interesting that they they know or you're able to collect that stuff and then know that that bear is that particular bear that had this previous attack it's just it's very, it's very interesting. It's almost like, like you said, a, a crime scene and and uh, a suspect in a case. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Correct. Yeah. Well, and then grizzly bears are nice because uh, we have a lab in Nelson, British Columbia, Wildlife Genetics International, where they track all of the grizzly bear DNA for Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, all of that. DNA goes to that lab. So anytime, say, uh, one of the biologists is out working and, and traps a, a bear, they pull DNA off of it and ship it to the lab. And so they have a huge database that can tell you, um, you know, I don't know if you're talking about the one that took place in Libby, Montana, or if you're talking about an Idaho one, but the one in Libby, that was the same thing. That young lady was out collecting bear maybe hair off of rub trees yeah maybe it was and she she encountered a, a large male grizzly bear at about 11 feet and was attacked but you know so we were able to submit the dna we collected at the scene to the lab they immediately shot back and told us who the bear was you know and then they can give lineage so they can tell you okay it's this is their parents or in his case he was kind of the grandfather for all of the bears in the cabinet yak ecosystem um you know he was 24 years old at the time and then this year he got into trouble down in town and they ended up putting him down but he he wasn't involved in any other attacks but uh yeah that was so that database is huge in that it tells us you know and we may encounter a bear. Uh, I know, like on the, the Montana Idaho border, when we had that uh, attack and fatality there in 2011, that was an unknown grizzly bear. Uh, oh, wow. You know, that was not in the system. So, you know, we figured he was about eight years of age, big male um, bear, and he was not in the system. So, somewhere, or he, you know, he just avoided leaving dna yeah yeah you know, and that happens you know you do encounter bears that for some unknown reason we have just never seen or heard from before yeah how how are you able to tell the approximate age based on a, a hair sample what what is that process no like we're like? looking at their teeth oh okay we're got looking it. at their teeth so this is after yeah. they're you know you've dispatched them and okay got it yep got it yep have you uh, other than that, yeah, that if, if the bear's alive and going we the only way we would know age then is because he's been captured before. Oh, okay. So, so uh, you know, uh, like the one in in Libby, 
that bear had been captured, and when they captured it, they pulled a tooth. Hmm. Okay. So we knew at the time of the capture his exact age. Got it. Got it. So what they do is they pull a, a premolar, and then they cross-section that, and they count the rings just like you would on a tree. Oh, interesting. And And the rings tell you the age of the bear. So at the time he was captured... We knew the exact age of that bear, and I don't remember. I I have it, but I don't remember what year he was captured and they pulled a tooth. So at that time, we knew how old that bear was. And then, you know, when the attack occurred on the young lady, then we knew, okay, he's 24 years old. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that sounds right. I, I, I'm looking at it right now. Amber Kornack, is that? Kornack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yep. so yeah. Have you listened to that podcast episode? No, I have yeah, not. Yeah, you'll you'll have to. That's a it's a really it's called <laughs> if you get on Meat Eaters uh, website or just search Meat Eater on iTunes or whatever. It's the episode's one sixty seven. It's called Mauled by a Grizzly, and uh, it was really interesting. I mean to to hear about that. And she was she was kind of sad that that you know that bear did get put down. You know, yeah, uh, she she didn't necessarily want that, but understandably so. You know, you gotta you gotta take that threat out for sure. But that's an interesting episode. You should well, definitely give but, it a listen. You know, we didn't take the bear out because of the attack. You know, he the bear was taken out this year because it got into trouble in town. Ah, uh, okay, got it. So it rolled down into some residences and was is was breaking into buildings and eating f- food. Ah, uh, wow. Um, yeah, I can't remember what food it was eating, but uh, it was getting into trouble and. So that was the reason it was put down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Uh is that something you see pretty common is is bears around town? Is that a is that a f- first defense and you're out sort of thing when they're they're getting into people's backyards and breaking into buildings? Is that something you you know usually take out or is it kind of got to happen a couple times and then you know deal with Every it? Every situation is different. Uh, you know, they, they kind of, it's a joint effort where, you know, it's, they work with our agency or whoever the state agency is, but then they also have to work with the Fish and Wildlife Service because they're still protected. So they, it, it has to be a joint decision as to, you know, are we going to take them out or, or are we going to move them, you know, based upon the behavior. Now, if it's just, if it's just something that's that's minor and it's not doing anything bad, then they may just let it go. Every but again, every every situation is different as to how they respond. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like uh, getting a a search warrant to 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 enter somebody's house or whatever. Like it seems like you got to go through that due diligence and process to you know in order to to make a move like that. It seems like a similar scenario. Yeah, yeah. You know you'll. You'll go out, you'll look at it, and you'll say, okay, the bear uh, was breaking into a shed to get to chicken feed. Then they'll have to decide, you know, is this something that we want to move the bear over, or are we going to leave it there and try and, you know, do some conditioning of the bear, you know, maybe put up some electric fence around the the chicken coop to keep it out of there, that type of stuff, or, or... you know, they, a lot of decisions have to be made as to how they're going to respond to it. Got it. And, but anytime we're going to remove a bear from the system, that or say we're 
the decisions made to relocate the bear, a lot of times that's done in conjunction with the Fish and Wildlife Service side of it, uh, the folks that run the, the grizzly bear program for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Got it. Got it. I want to kind of transition more along the lines for like preparedness. Like, so let's say if you're a hunter or a hiker or whatever, you're in the back country, you're, you're going to be around grizzly bears. Like what are kind of the precautions somebody should take? Obviously there's bear spray, there's protection, there's, you know, certain things you can do, but like, I guess, what are some of the common reasons why people get attacked? I know you mentioned surprise encounters, but is there anything that we should be doing to prepare and, and help mitigate against encounters? And then if one does occur, you know, what should you have? What should you do? You know, there's really not much you can do to prepare to avoid an encounter other than stay home. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, that's, that's really your, about your only chance. But, you know, like for me, I live out in the hills, so I always run the risk every day I go outside or at night to do chores. I always, you could always, the potential is always there to run into a bear or a lion. Um, you know, so that's, that's just the way, the way it is. But for, for hunters or folks that are out recreating, uh, my advice is, is always have bear spray with you. Uh, they make a chest holder for it where it's right on your chest. It's available, you know, quickly. You know, a lot of the a lot of the attacks that I've looked at, the, the bear sprays in a location that's hard to get to. It may be on a hip or in a pocket on their backpack. And so they're struggling to get to it. Now, I had one where the guy was actually carrying the bear spray in his hand, but, you know, the, the attack was so fast the bear was on top of him quick enough he couldn't deploy the bear spray and during the attack he was able to deploy it but he ended up spraying himself and the bear with uh, oh, man. with it as well which deterred the attack but still you know you have to and that was in his hand and and so much of it is timing you know you look at a lot of these attacks they're so fast you know you're talking about a bear covering a distance of 20, 30 feet in seconds, one to two, one yeah. to two seconds. Yeah. You know, and so the, for you to, for it to click in your brain and for then for you to pull a safety and deploy your bear sprayer, it, you're really hard pressed to be able to do that. And, but, you know, folks that have been able to get to it, have it been able to use the spray and, and it has deterred the attack enough that they've, the bear's, maybe moved off or left entirely or or uh, enough that they can get out of there and, and get to a spot that's semi-safe. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that's a common thing I've heard with a lot of people that have been involved in grizzly encounters where they they have the bear spray or whatever, but it's in the bottom of their pack or it's not an accessible place. And that's just, it seems like it's be something so easy to to, you know, combat that but it happens and a lot of people do make that mistake because they just get complacent and like ah it's not going to happen but it can and uh, it seems like i'm hearing a lot more of like the chest harness or having it right there because it's just really easy to access in the, in the event of yep. attack uh it seems like so yep. it seems like the, the common denominator is just being prepared and having it at the ready at all times because it you never know when it's going to happen and it's going to happen quick if it does Correct. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I know I can't remember who, which, if it's UDAP or counter assault, I can't remember who did it, but one of them built a, a, a spray canister into a backpack. So it's in the back of the backpack and then there's a cord you pull. So like if, if you're, if the bear's on top of you and you're face down, you can pull the cord and the spray will automatically come out. Oh, wow. Uh, I can't remember which company developed that one, but yeah, you know, but the chest carrier works the best, but again, it's that being, having the time to get it out and to deploy it. Now, if you see the bear far enough away, that gives you more time, but a lot of these surprise encounters, you know, the bear's right there. You're talking a matter of feet when you encounter the bear. Yeah, yeah. You know, any, you know, you, you look at a bear that's six, eight feet away from you, you have no time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just got to happen in a blink of an eye. And, I, and I've, yep. I've heard, it seems like in, in attacks, it's, it's always best to, I guess with grizzlies in particular, um, I've heard that it's best to like play dead versus fight them off. And it's best to maybe if you have a backpack on, you know, lay on your stomach and kind of protect your neck. Like t- talk to us maybe about some of those practices. Like what's the best thing to do if you're being attacked by a grizzly? Is it play dead? Is it fight back? Is it, you know, you know, it's kind of, it, it's kind of a deal where it, it's, I think the, what the, International Grizzly Bear Group has put out is if it's a surprise defensive type of an attack, play dead. If it's predatory where the bear is intent on you and it's intent on getting you, then fight back. Now, I know in all of the ones that I've looked at or investigated, you know, from interviewing the victims, when they were fighting that bear, like my guy in my tent, when he was fighting that bear and the, and the lady that was in her tent at Soda Butte, she was fighting back aggressively against the bear that had a hold of her. And as they were doing that, the attack got more aggressive. Ah, yeah. The minute they played dead, the bear released. You know, and that's... So, it, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard hard thing to say for certain what's your best option but that's always something to think about in the back of your mind is maybe if i just relax for a second the bear's going to release long enough that i can grab my bear spray and deploy it got it uh, yeah i mean know, it's... but again that there's no <laughs> i mean that <laughs> those no are the rule rules book. that they yeah that they're putting out but that doesn't mean the bears are going to live by them yeah yeah, hundred you know, percent. They they may that day they may come in with their own set of rules. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just in my mind, it's you're not gonna outmuscle a grizzly bear, no matter <laughs> unless unless no. you got unless you got a sidearm or you know bear spray. Yeah. I mean, there's just I mean, you could be pounding that thing with a baseball bat or something, and I, I don't think that's gonna do anything. I mean, it's just they're just such crazy strong animals that were jello compared to them so in my mind i think i think it would be best at least i mean obviously you have to read the situation but it sounds like playing dead if you if if the bear feels like they've eliminated that threat um you know it seems like sometimes that they do just kind of leave the scene and and get out of there so yeah and that's that's really for a lot of them that's what it boils down to is they're reducing the threat so if uh 
trying to think of an example. I, I had one uh, lady was out with her dogs. Uh, dog disappears around the corner, comes back around the corner at her with a black bear on its tail. She yells at the bear. The bear then attacks her, knocks her down on the ground, and then the attack stops. So she thinks it, it's over. She sits up. The bear comes back in and attacks her again. So what they do is they'll attack you the first time, kind of step back, see if I did a good enough job reducing the threat. If you sit up or move or do anything that looks to them like they haven't done a good enough job, then they come back in, and usually the second time they come back in is much worse. Oh, wow. And that applies to both bears, black or grizzly. Man, uh, I didn't realize... I mean, how many, uh, we've talked about two different black bear incidents. Uh, I mean, are black bears incidents just as common as, as grizzly bears? It seems seems like you're talking a you know, lot I, about black bears, too. You know, I don't know that they're just as common, but I, I think when they do occur, they're probably a little more severe at times. Really? Um, yeah, black bears have a tendency to be more predatory in their behavior when they attack. Uh, you know, we've been pretty lucky. We haven't had a lot of black bear attacks, but given the number of black bears that we have, but, um, but we haven't had a lot of attacks, but you look at black bear attacks in other places. Uh, you know, there was a young man, I, I think it was Maine. He was killed in Maine. That was a predatory attack where he actually, you know, he was in a group of people. And, and I know that was one of the things that you had talked about you know what size of groups do we travel in and you know any it seems like if you look at the history of attacks i know glacier national park looked at this years ago and if you're in groups of four or more and you stay together as a group you're tight your chances of being attacked are zero as you go down from that you know two to three or a single then your chances increase in being attacked. Huh. Now you look at Amber's case, you know, she was doing everything right. She was blowing a whistle, yelling, making noise, clapping her hands, but the environmental conditions that day were so bad. You know, it was raining, the wind was howling, heavy runoff in the stream, plus on the other side of her was a big waterfall, and then there was water actually running down the road she was walking on so you have all of this environmental noise so no matter what type of noise she is making with all the environmental noise (laughs) bear couldn't hear yeah you know and i know a guy who's been running in glacier national park for years by himself and he wears uh oh it's like a an ipod on his arm and he turns the volume up as high as it'll go, and he listens to books on tape. Huh, yeah. And 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 that's, you know, and he claims that noise is enough to deter the bears. Um, it makes know. sense. But again, it's, it's just one of those things, and again, I think it's timing and... You a know, lot of different in the factors. wrong place at the wrong time, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to matter much. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about a, a scenario where somebody's you know, shot an elk or a deer in grizzly country. Um, I guess what are, what are the best practices to, to maybe, uh, remove that meat, you know, in a, in a way that's, that's going to mitigate potential 
grizzly encounters like should you move you know should you quarter it out move the meat away from the carcass if you can't haul it out all in one hit or whatever like what are some things you can do precautions you can take once you've got an animal down uh yeah i would try and get it away when you when you field dress that animal try and get it as far away from the you know the stomach contents and all of the insides that you've taken out and if you can't get it out that day you're gonna have to hang it hang it at least you know 10 feet above the ground between a couple of trees Um, and that's going to be the best you can do but you have to be aware that going back in your potential of running into an animal on that is present yeah you know not say that it's going to happen but it's a possibility that it could happen you know you could have a bear or a, a mountain lion that has decided to take over your animal so say you leave a lane on the ground because you can't you don't have a way to hang it or you can't get it out that day you run that risk of having a bear take possession of that that animal and 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 then the other thing that goes with that is is again bears as we talked are single response learners so a bear hears a gunshot it's hunting season he knows hunting season's going on he hears a gunshot he starts moving to that gunshot yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Is that a real rewarded. thing? It's possible. So say he gets rewarded with, uh, you know, a, a gut pile or a, an animal. When he hears that gunshot and he goes to it, he knows, okay, I, the last time I did this, I went in and I got an elk. So I hear another gunshot, I'm going to move towards it. So what I would tell people to do is make sure you have your firearm very close to you, and if you have bear spray, have it out and be looking up. Yeah. Yes, you're concentrating on that animal that you just harvested and you're trying to get it field dressed, but be looking up, be aware of what's going on around you because these bears are again are smart and they know there's potential food sources out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh You know, I've 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 had grizzly bears that that will walk around and look in the back of people's pickups during hunting season. And Jeez. why would they do that? Because it's a learned behavior. Yeah. They may have gotten a reward at one point, you know, where uh, somebody left a deer in the back of a truck, went for a hike, come back, the deer's gone. Because the grizzly bear found it and took it off. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. So uh, in the event that you do, like you've, you've got an animal down, uh, let's say it's wounded or whatever. You didn't get to it right away. There's a grizzly bear on it, or you've packed out some of the meat. You're coming back to that site. A grizzly bear is on it. Uh, the recommendation is right. Like that you leave that alone. You, you back the hell out of there and, 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 and get away. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The grizzly bear now owns it. Yeah. Or the black bear or whoever it is, they now own it. And, uh, you know, so the best option is just let them have it, call us, tell us what happened, and we'll figure it out from there. Okay. Got it. Got it. Do you, uh, do you feel that at some point in the near future, I know like they banned, didn't they have grizzly bear hunting in like British Columbia? Was that, that was illegal? They still do. Okay. Maybe it was Alberta or something. I can't remember. Did they, uh remove it from I'm there. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah um, I'm not sure. I mean, do you do you feel that at some point, I mean, a proper way to manage grizzly bears is is going to have to be through 
hunting uh, at some point. I mean, I know there have been proposals and, and stuff in place for, I think like Wyoming had something lined up, but then it got shot down and, you know, tied up in litigation and the courts and whatever. Um, but I Correct. mean, what, what, what's your, what's your whole take on hunting grizzly bears? You feel like it's, it's a necessary form of management at some point, given the number of encounters and, and population increase. Well, it, 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 it's just another tool in your tool chest to, to try and help. Um, is that going to be the, the way to solve any problems that occur? I don't know that that's the answer either. Um, you know, I know if, and whenever they delist them and they, and the responsibility comes back to the States, then it'll be set on a quota system where, um, say like, and we'll just use Montana as an example, and, and I don't know what the, the number would be. I'm just going to throw it out as an example. But say they delist, and Montana says, okay, we're going to set our quota at 40 bears. So for the Northern Continental Divide ecosystem, which is up where I'm at, we're setting that quota at 40 bears. Anytime a bear gets hit by a car, a train, uh, is shot, mistaken identity, somebody thinks it's a black bear, shoots a grizzly bear, or it's uh, a management action where we have to go in and remove a bear because of whatever behavior it's exhibiting, all of those numbers come off of that quota. So we may we may actually remove 40 bears through all of those things I listed before we ever allow a hunter to think about it. Ah, okay. So at that point in time, there would be no hunting season because we've already met the quota. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. 100%. Yeah. So that's that's really what you're looking at if and when they ever delist is you're going to have, you'll have some sort of a quota in there, and I don't know what the number would be, uh, but that will be in place. And then, But again, all of those other outliers that are out there that are going to potentially remove bears come off of that quota yeah yeah that makes sense so you know you could you could have a hunting season for two bears you know say you don't reach that quota you could have a hunting season for two bears but that's not going to have a huge impact on the population yeah it makes sense it makes sense um yeah i guess i mean obviously i know they're I know they're listed, uh, protected right now, but it just, it just seems like okay. Well, we're already taking out these bears right now. I mean, through through one way or another. I mean, bears are being killed. Grizzly bears are being killed each year through some sort of management action or problem bears or whatever. Um, it just seems like what well, if you it, leave it up to the quota, like you said, and if hunting makes sense for that particular season, you haven't met your quota and the, and obviously these bears need to be managed like that. It just seems like a no brainer. Right. But it, like, what's the, what's right. the holdup? Is it, is it like these anti groups that, you know, are pushing for this? Because it seems like the populations are at a certain point where, um, they are a healthy, they're not like endangered anymore. Right. In in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I don't. I to be honest with you, I don't know the what exactly is the holdup from the legal standpoint. I don't know specifically what they're looking at, you know, as to what's holding up the process. Yeah. But you know, I know on the wolf issue when we when they delisted wolves, the the big holdup there was, 
just the different states' quota systems. Um, you know, I, I think Wyoming was wanting to just go out and have a hunting season with no really set quota. And I think that was a holdup when they delisted. Mm. So, yeah. you know, and, you know, and I know like for Montana, when we delisted, you know, we, we said, okay, we're going to make sure we have a stable population for three years before we look at doing anything from a hunting standpoint. Got it. Um, you know, and it had a target number in it and of what we wanted to see in the population. And, and again, all that's, that's done through, you know, like on the wolves, getting radio collars on them and, and then monitoring them and then flying them. You know, you can fly a pack of wolves and pick up the one that, find the one that's radio collared, and then that gives you an idea. You can count the wolves and gives you an idea of how many's there. Yeah. Uh, that, that type. But, you know, and grizzly bears... Uh, you know, I'm not sure anywhere else, but I know in the Northern Continental Divide, we only have about 3% of the population that we're monitoring. So 3% of the population is collared. So that's all we know, you know, for for that population. But we've done so much DNA work, we have a pretty good idea of the number of bears that are out there on the landscape. And I can't remember the percentage that we believe the population is growing each year. Uh, it's not exploding, but it's growing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I just, uh, I mean, what, I mean, for, for conservation and money standpoint, it seems like it'd be a, be a no brainer, you know, I mean, a, a grizzly bear tag, even if it's just a couple of year, I mean, that's going to bring a pretty good amount of coin uh, for somebody going to buy that tag and, and, and hunting that grizzly bear. It seems like it would be a, a no brainer from a management side of things, but we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds. Yeah. yeah. Be interesting. We'll see. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, uh, yeah. Colorado should start that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. We got grizzly bears everywhere around here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I've heard, I mean, obviously everybody speculates and you hear, hear these rumors or whatever, but like kind of on the Northern side of Colorado by the Wyoming border, I mean, you hear of people saying, I mean, no doubt we've, we've encountered grizzly bears in Colorado and I mean, it, they've got to be here. I just imagine they're, they're in small numbers or, or maybe Colorado parks and wildlife doesn't want to, you know, document that yet or whatever, who knows, but it's, it's interesting. Well, and if I remember right historically you guys had them years yeah. ago yeah i don't know how many but i know you had them but again you know you may only have one or two yeah you may not have any you know it's it's really hard to say and until they start showing up on the landscape more often you're not going to know mm-hmm. you, you know it's you look at some of these states back east who uh you know i i taught a class in tennessee in 2014 and and they were like, oh, yeah, we don't have mountain lions. I'm like, you have white-tailed deer? You're probably going to have lions. <laughs> they're everywhere if now. If they're not here yet, they're going to be here. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a month or two after I left, someone captured one on a trail camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, and again, they're not in high numbers, but it doesn't take long, especially when you have good food source. You know, and, and mountain lions and white-tailed deer just go together they're they're they fit together perfectly yeah yeah even where i grew up in michigan southern michigan there was 
there was uh lions around um i had never seen them but neighbors had and and uh but they they were definitely there uh which is which is cool yeah. to see yeah yeah what uh before we wrap it up here brian uh what are, are there any places people can go anything on the on the website for uh you know what you guys are doing is there any resources available for people to go and learn more about grizzly bear encounters and preparedness and uh, do you guys hold any workshops or educational seminars for the public like what what resources do you have available for for the general public you know they we have uh we have quite a few brochures and pamphlets that people can get plus there's the I'm looking up the IG International Grizzly Bear Committee. I think on their website uh, they talk about bear spray, bear resistant products. Um, you know that's a pretty good website to go to to learn about grizzly bears. It's you know pretty comprehensive uh, to look at. Gives you lots, you know, bear safety and, and grizzly habitat, bear spray, food storage, bear safety for hiking and camping, hunters, residents, farmers, ranchers. Has a whole bunch of stuff that you can click on, and and it takes you there and, and gives you, you know, some ideas. On yeah, what how website to is that? Avoid conflicts. It's the International Grizzly Bear Committee. Okay, so you just Google that, you'll find yep. that out. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link that in the yeah. show notes for sure. Yeah, and that's that, and that, that actually links back to Wyoming Game and Fish, Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, Idaho Fish and Game. You know, so it, it gives you an idea of, you know, all the the agencies as well, and and you can click on them, and it and it takes you to their bear programs as well. Okay, very cool. So, like, if you were to click on Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks, it pulls up our our website, Living with Grizzly Bears. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's just everything people want to know is there. Yeah. And I feel like people do, do need to know it. Uh, especially as bears move into higher population areas, more people are out in the back country. I feel like, you know, people need to be prepared. They need to be aware. Uh, obviously you can't fully prepare for an attack or an encounter. And when that happens, it's, it's going to be chaos, but people need to be more aware of, of the potential and, uh, you know, so it's obviously good good resources to have. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as far as training goes, I, I don't know what they do other places. You know, I do talks here every once in a while. I, I've done them for different groups, different agencies, uh, different organizations, and and they're all tailored to what they want. You know, like there there's one I do for a a guest ranch where I put on a it's not long, but it's it's like a 30-minute talk just for their employees on bear behavior. You know, we I'll show them a bunch of pictures, and we talk about behavior and what to look for and what is the bear displaying at this time. What is this bear telling us? And those are all things that they need to understand and know. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, Brian, we, we kind of got into everything pretty quick before i could ask you some more personal questions but did did you grow up in montana are you a native montana yeah, resident? I, I was 
I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and then I've been in Kalispell since 1987. Okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful country. And uh, so wildlife enforcement has always been, I mean, that's kind of been your life career is, is in the space, correct? Correct. Yeah. It's been my job. <laughs> Great job to have. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on uh, at some point for a follow up episode. I'd I'd like to maybe dive into more some details of of these investigations or poachers or you know these these longer term uh, you know pieces that you work on. It'd be be really interesting to dive into some of that stuff. So maybe we'll have to get you back on for an episode at some point to talk more of the nitty gritty yeah. details of some of that stuff. I think that'd be interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, this has been great, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on and, and, uh, yeah, thanks again. I learned a lot and very interesting stuff. And, uh, so again, thank you. And, and you have a great, great rest of your day. All right. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. And there it is. Another episode in the books. Big thanks to Brian for coming on the show. Mark my words, we'll have him back on. I, I, I want to dive into some other stories with him. He, you know, he does a lot of criminal investigation of poaching and, and various stuff in Montana. So I, I want to get him back on the show to talk about that stuff. There's, there's no doubt about it. So look for a follow-up episode in the future. Don't know exactly when that'll be, but um, it will happen. We'll, I'll make sure of that. All right, big thanks to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skull Brew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Thanks again for tuning in. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon.